0: anchor you in the present moment, perhaps enabling you to listen more carefully. When we use the breath to do something like listening, of course, we're not giving it the same quality of attention that we would if we're following the breath exclusively when we're sitting. It's more a kind of you're a light contact with the breathing. <laughs> Part of the value of the breath the breath as a as a method is that it 's always there it 's portable wherever you go there it is, or more accurately, wherever it is, wherever it goes, there you are because if it isn't going, <laughs> you ain't so you can learn how to uh, stay in touch with the breath in such a way as to cut down, minimize, and sometimes even eliminate unnecessary thinking or thinking period. In which case, of course, your list, the quality of the listening will be improved because you're not hearing through the filter of all the associations and agreeing and disagreeing and comparing and I understand, I don't understand, etc. You're just listening. What I'd like to do this evening is to continue where we left off. If you recall, uh, a couple of evenings ago, we were talking about acquiring a seat, uh, establishing a a stability of attention, and emphasizing the body's role in that. Although, of course, finally, there's no separation between body and mind. And the seat that we're acquiring or developing, or establishing, uh, is as much in the mind as it is in the body, and it's not limited to sitting in the cross-legged position. Once the mind and the body come together in that way and you learn how to do it, uh, it provides a stability that cuts across situations. But let me uh, review a little bit and put it, uh, put what is being said in the context because the retreat is going to a change a bit sometime tomorrow, probably. I'm not sure. We'll see. Sometime tomorrow. If you recall, uh, we're using the uh, Full Awareness of Breathing teaching of the Buddha as the frame of reference to help us with this retreat, conduct this retreat and practice it. And the frame of reference is of the four foundations of mindfulness. And as expressed in the Sutra on the Full Awareness of Breathing, which is a a streamlined, very direct version of that teaching, we have to become familiarized and intimate with four realms. The first realm is the body. The second realm is feelings. The third realm the mind states themselves, all the various uh, mind states that come and go. We'll go into more detail on them. And the fourth realm is pure vipassana, and that's discernment. So, to back up, we're learning how to breathe with the body. First off, if you recall, we started off with simple in-and-out breathing, not mentioning anything about the body, but just... Do you know if the breath is coming in? Do you know if the breath is coming out? Then that quite naturally becomes enables you rather to uh, perceive the subtle differences in the quality of the breath. In the sutra it's referred to as the long and the short breath. But it means all the different nuances of quality that the breath goes through. We're still using the breath exclusively And then, the third contemplation, uh, long and short, take up two, has to do with uh, being sensitive to the whole body as you breathe in and as you breathe out, being aware of the whole body as you breathe in and breathe out, kind of whole body breathing. So here, you're not only breathing, but as you're breathing, uh, it's a unified field eventually as as the practice matures, uh, of the breath and the life of uh, of the body. And the fourth, again, is a natural unfolding from that, is uh, for the body to become tremendously calm and stable, uh, which is just a natural development from this practice of being sensitive to the body as you breathe. When I said feelings, which we'll move on to, Uh, touch upon, of course. Uh, It's the same thing, only in those teachings, which we won't go into this evening, uh, as you're breathing, you're coming to know your feelings. And then when we come to the realm of uh, mental formations or mind states, as you breathe, you come to know all the different mind states that visit. And then discernment is everything that we've done, anything having to do with the body, anything having to do with feelings or the different mind states, is seen to be impermanent and to lack self as you breathe in and breathe out. So, in this teaching you're always uh, using the breath. If you like to call it an anchor or you can call it a, a kind of gateway into your experience, at first it may seem like you're trying to do two things at the same time. Breathe and notice how the body is. Breathe and notice what I'm feeling. Breathe and notice the mind states. Breathe and notice that everything's changing. But uh, finally what happens is it becomes a unified field of attention where you don't have to worry about that because the breath is always happening. And so it just joins you in whatever you're doing. And when used as intended, uh, it helps you uh, be mindful of that which you're trying to be mindful of. Let's talk a little bit about the um, sensitive to the whole body. The yogi breathes in and breathes out. It means exactly what it says, that as you breathe in and breathe out, now uh, the focus of the practice changes, and throughout it, it will maintain this. You're no longer exclusively with breathing, but rather it's a more comprehensive kind of attention, an attention that uh, as you breathe, you also know all that is non-breath. That is when it's helping you. Conscious breathing is helping you to see more clearly all that is other than breath. In this case, the body. Uh, the method is designed to help you use conscious breathing, so that you can really see into the body deeply. And that's what we're talking about this evening. Um, how does how do you how does that happen? How do you make that happen? And I should. Um, say something before we go into that I know many of you are very new to the center to retreats and to this practice and some of you have been practicing for a while as well I may say some things um, that don't match your experience that is, gee, I haven't tasted that yet or I don't see how you could do that And then the mind will spin out on how you're no good and you're rotten and that one. Please don't. I mean, if we did that with everything we read, we would all just be totally depressed. (laughs) I mean, you couldn't get through a page of the Buddha because uh, sometimes it's fine to hear about some things that you haven't tasted yet. You don't have to grab everything right away. You don't have to get to the top in one step, one weekend to awakening (laughs) or 10 days, it doesn't work that way. So relax, you know, uh, you'll see the instructions and that's why the individual interviews are so important are designed to be individualized. There's no one size fits all. It's just ridiculous. Okay. So far, I'm pretty sure that all of you No, Um, there's nothing mysterious about noticing the breath is coming in and out of your nostrils or feeling the tummy rising and falling or sensations in the chest. But now what's this whole body stuff? Um, One way in which the the sensitivity to the body develops is just quite naturally. If you keep doing just what you're doing, just breathing in and breathing out, wherever you are, locating your attention... As that becomes more refined, more subtle, uh, as you quiet down, as your mind becomes quieter, which comes out of the subtle development in the breathing, you can't help but be more sensitive to the body. You become more sensitive to everything. This particular contemplation uh, separates out the body as a special field of attention. So as you're breathing, even if you just stay at the nostrils, a rather narrow observation post, in, out, in, out, and if you do it, at a certain point you can't help but feel uh, the breath deeply in the body. Even if you're not officially attending to it, it affects the whole body and you can feel it. And you can feel what's going on in your body. Now of course you've already had that, particularly discomfort. You've already started this one. But there are also uh, in a sense methods, auxiliary methods, to help open up the body so that this um, contemplation becomes real for you. The most important one is really just keep practicing quite naturally uh, as if you are drawn to the breath uh, as a method. Uh, quite naturally what will happen is you, you become much more sensitive to the whole body and you'll be doing what contemplation is saying. But you can help it along a little and some of you have already done things that are relevant for it. I know a number of you have practiced the ji style where you have body sweeping or the body scan, which is very similar, used in, uh, developed from this practice and used in stress reduction now. In all of those, you are gaining some Familiarity with the body. You could say intimacy with the body. The only difference is that here, let's say if you were going to, uh, I'm assuming that, well, maybe some of you don't know these terms. Uh, Those methods uh, would be to take a journey into your body with awareness, a body scan or sweeping, only here we're not looking for impermanence, not quite yet, that comes a little later. And you could start any, You could start at the top of your head and just, uh, it's a tour. You just go down through your body and there are different ways to do it at a fixed pace. You can also uh, move and then when you get to some place uh, where there's a lot of uh, energy, you stop and you examine it for a while and you move on. You'll get to parts of the body where you don't feel anything. Uh, With time it starts to uh, become enlivened and you start to feel it. And so you can systematically move through the body. Only here you're doing it as you breathe in and as you breathe out. So the breath is coordinated with awareness of bodily life. That's a systematic way. Then there's a non-systematic way, which uh, is happening anyway, and tomorrow's instructions will uh, definitely include this. There, you're sitting with your breathing, only now you're not using the breath as an exclusive object. You're open to the body as well. So as you breathe in and as you breathe out, uh, you're aware of whatever turns up in the body. It's not always discomfort. The body may feel light, transparent. Uh, parts of the body feel healthy and vibrant. You f- you feel what's there, or if there's pain, you experience that. And so, as you're breathing in and breathing out, instead of systematically journeying through the body, you let the body uh, tell you what it wants looked at. It will. It will complain or it will just be more vivid. And so as you breathe, you come to know the body. But in both of these methods, what you're doing is you're taking pieces of the body and you're working piecemeal as you breathe in and breathe out. And that's more manageable for most most of us. There's another way in which you just sit and breathe and are aware of the whole body. It's not uh, fragmented up into pieces. It's just a a global, panoramic, and overall sense of sittingness, of the body, and the breathing. Now, to begin with, those of you who are newer to the practice, you probably will stay with the breath at a particular place, whether it's the nose or the tummy or, or wherever. As the practice ripens, and I don't want to legislate because I've seen all too often how everyone's practice unfolds in a different way, not being superior or inferior, just different, but for many people after a while, um, you don't really need a particular place to locate your attention, to locate the breath. You don't have to have an official lookout post at the nose or at the tummy because the breath becomes, as you do it more, if you practice conscious breathing then of course it gets stronger. It's like anything else in life it becomes more vivid, it becomes more natural, Um, you remember to do it, and you don't have to station yourself anywhere, you're just attentive and you can feel the breath. Of course then that makes it much easier to experience this third contemplation, being sensitive to the whole body, the yogi breathes in and out. Then it's a a whole experience, an integrated experience. That, too, comes naturally. It's not that you need these techniques and methods. So all of these are ways in which uh, conscious breathing and awareness of the body come together. In the third contemplation, if you recall, uh, however this grows and matures, it then develops to where uh, the body becomes tremendously calm and stable. And that's what I meant by acquiring a seat, or you really established seated, or the image of a tree, very strongly planted, deeply, deeply rooted tree that can withstand storms Okay, I think we left off with that the last time. So the third quite naturally unfolds into the fourth. But now, let's look about what, what the Buddha had in mind here. We're now in the, we're in the first uh, realm, the first foundation of mindfulness, which is the body. And there's really a lot more that can be learned that's going on. Uh, for example, uh, with, when we're aware of the body, Uh, inevitably we we come up against pain and illness. So the transfer from this skill, this ability to to sit and be with your body as you breathe, uh, becomes tremendously helpful in terms of physical pain and also illness. And I'd like to give examples. Uh, I know for some of you who are new it's a bit confusing Uh, And we're getting ready to open the field of attention up so that you will be observing the body, not just when it's problematic, but just anytime. What the breath adds to it, I mean, why bring conscious breathing into it? Why not just examine, let's say, if you have a strong pain uh, in some part of the body? Most of you have done different Vipassana methods. Just go to it, just be mindful of it. Great, and it's not that what I'm suggesting is superior. You can use mental notes, that's one method, and I'm sure you know there are countless ways to do this. So that's basic to, to uh, the, the four foundations of mindfulness. That's what I meant when I said that all the people who teach here, uh, anyone who teaches vipassana anywhere, must draw upon this teaching because it's so central to the Buddhist teaching. So what you're attending to is the body. And the, the Buddha used this phrase, it's an odd phrase in English. He referred to it, be mindful of the body in the body. Uh, one way to, to come at that is to use another word that uh, is uh, used a lot in our culture, intimacy. The body in the body uh, is a very, very important statement. What it is saying is that you are just experiencing the body, the raw body. The body body is the, uh, the body that's not cooked by ideas. It's not steamed or fried or uh, boiled by ideas and notions about what the body is. And at first, it's very difficult for us to separate out what is just bodily sensations from body image, from attitudes that we have for the body, towards the body, for and against it, positive and negative, Uh, all kinds of reactivity that we have about anything that happens to our body, ranging from alienation to narcissism, you know, the full range of, uh, there's quite a, a world going on all having to do with the body, but this instruction is much more simple than that. It's saying the body in the body. Intimacy of practice, which I uh, would suggest is what our practice is about. It's the practice of intimacy. We're learning how to be intimate with the body. Well, what would that mean? What wouldn't be intimate? If you're thinking about the body, that might sound like it's okay, but just that bit of energy that's taken up by thinking is removing you, to some degree, from the direct experience of the body. Any attitudes or reaction, disliking pain, self-pity because of pain, identification, this is happening to my body, to me. Those are all notions that are added on to the raw, direct, bare experience of bodily life. Okay, so uh, let me give you an an example. When you're feeling pain in the body, and I know all of us in this room have, maybe you are right now. You know, you can do it right now, just pay attention. Uh, Typically what happens is, uh, what we're experiencing, unless you've had some training in Vipassana or disciplines like it, you're not really attending to the body in the body. What's happening is you're experiencing the pain and the mind is very much involved in it. The mind is unhappy. The mind feels sorry for itself. The mind identifies with this pain as being you and yours. And because there's no separation, we, we jump from physical pain, which is a fact that's there. I'm not trying to talk us out of that. We jump from that to torment. Torment is extra. Physical pain is physical pain. Torment is what comes out of an unexamined blending of the mind and the body around this experience in in the body. Intimacy is when there's no separation between awareness and that what we call pain. Even the word pain can get in the way of intimacy, of practice, of the the body. Because intimacy is not for us practically speaking, is not a neutral term. It's already aversive. Pain. We don't like pain. And so to label something pain can even interfere with the uh, ability to attend to, I have to use a word, you know, to, mm, ow. Attitudes that are helpful for our practice that might help you get a feeling for what I'm talking about uh, are attitudes like naive, innocent. Those are not, by and large not such good words in the real, so-called real world. If someone says you're naive or you're an innocent, it's a kind of insult. It might be an affectionate, you know, the kind of compliment that, boy, how did you remain so pure? Don't you understand that it's a nightmare out there? What are you doing walking around so naive and innocent? There are people who are trying to rob, steal, mug, rape, do all these things, and you have these uh, shiny eyes. Whatever you think of that, naive and innocent means fresh. That is, the way a child sees things for the first time. That means it doesn't have the momentum of its heritage coloring what it's looking at or what it's experiencing. Uh, When you look at our practice of mindfulness has a journey, an experiential journey. See if it fits your experience. To begin with, when we attempt to be mindful of something, it's necessarily entangled with our our psyche. Because it's all mixed in together, our personality likes, dislikes, and so forth. We think we're looking at things, and people are quite content to think that they're looking at the world. It seems obvious. But what's happening is the looking is uh, entangled with their psychology, each person's personal psychology. A next step in practice is that falls away and there's much more clarity so that what you're looking at uh, isn't so or isn't influenced by your psychology that much. But there's still a self-consciousness the self-consciousness of being an observer, of being a yogi, of being a meditator. And how can we possibly skip that? We're trying to learn a new skill. It's a skill that is important to us. And just like, you remember when you learned to ride a three-wheel bicycle, a two-wheel rather, how self-conscious you are from one side, you maybe needed training wheels at first and holding on and tense in the body. And then a little while later, I don't know, suddenly you're riding with no hands. You're not self-conscious. You're at home. Real awareness, real mindfulness, uh, there's no observer. There's no self-consciousness. That's intimacy. Then there's nothing between the seeing and what's happening. And that grows out of the doing. You can't rush the process. You can't give yourself an order to not be self-conscious, to not have your psyche mix in with what you're looking at. But what you can do is become mindful of it. At any rate, that's uh, the body and the body—that's that's what starts to happen. Okay, let's uh, let me give you an example. Let's say you're having physical pain. Think of uh... okay. Think of a. Um a basketball game, and it's being televised on a very large screen. Perfect transmission, clear color, the best. Not only that, you know a lot about basketball, you know all the players, you know exactly what's going on, and you're watching it. But there's an announcer, right, who's paid to tell you what's going on, even though you can perfectly well see what's going on. And if the announcers for the home team his enthusiasms will be a certain way, and if he's for another team, it'll go another way. And so you're watching it, and that ongoing announcer is telling you what's happening, and of course it's affecting your experience. Press mute. <laughs> I think what our practice is, yes, how, how, to, get, how to come to the, the mute button, but only in our own mind. Okay, press mute, and there's pure basketball game. It's not colored by home team, uh, the personality of the announcer, the you know, all of that. It's just what it is. It's just dribble, 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 up, in. Turn the announcer back on, and there's excitement and screaming and attitudes, and, and suddenly your experience will, will be altered. Try it. OK, The mind is the announcer the mind is constantly telling you what's happening to you. It's telling you what that pain is about. It's telling you that this is awful. It's telling you that uh, uh, you should feel sorry for yourself. It's telling you to pack your bags and get out of this crazy place. <laughs> Who hasn't had that thought at least once in their yogic career? If you haven't, you're a liar and you've broken a precept. <laughs> Let me give you an example now of how the breath can help. From my own practice, some years ago, um, I was practicing in Thailand at Watpa Bantad, which is a, a monastery. Some of you have read the books of Ajahn Mahabua, um, who I was practicing with for a while there. And it's called the Thai Forest Tradition. I have to give you some background because to help you understand how miserable I was. Um, first off, they call it the Thai forest tradition, which sounds nice. It's not the Thai forest tradition. It's the Thai jungle tradition. If you've grown up in Brooklyn, there's a big difference between a jungle and a forest. Forests are places you go to have picnics. You know? You take nice nature walks, you do all kinds of you feel safe. Jungles are different. Okay, to suddenly find yourself in a little uh, bamboo hut. Each hut is a mon- uh, monastery, in quotes. Really, it's a set of individual bamboo huts which are separate from each other. You can't see anyone else, but there are paths connecting you. And then the teacher lives in one too, at a, a distance from them all. And there are, you know, all kinds of animals and sounds that. I only heard in the movies up until that point, point. You know. uh, and things go slithering by, I think they're called snakes. Uh, if that weren't bad enough, I had dysentery, um, I was throwing up, uh, a tooth broke, literally right in half. Uh, there was no dentist for hours, you know, and I, this is really just nowhere, in the middle of nowhere and i'm trying to uh, follow my breath yeah. if you feel isolated here at IMS this is a piece of cake so uh, it was it was it was awful uh... and i put myself there i, I spent a, a year saving up the money and making all these arrangements. i actually wanted to go to this place and so finally i got my wish and uh, after about the third day of this, I, I, and I was taking what I brought with me, everything from you know, a whole armory of uh, herbal medicines and all the rest of it, and the uh, Thai monks who looked at me with such compassion were giving me everything they had, and nothing worked. And finally, so I had this meeting with Aj- Aj- Ajahn Mahabua, uh, who's a tough old bird and a wonderful, wonderful teacher, very kind and also, he's kind of a cross, a blend of the United States Marine Corps and Mother Teresa. I don't know how they, they're kind of happily married <laughs> in him, but you get confused sometimes as to which one you're dealing with. At any rate, he looked at me and, and uh, he saw right through me. He said, um, okay, I think it was about the fourth or fifth day, he said, you've been here for four or five days. We've used up all our medicines. You've used up all your medicines. <laughs> he said, uh, let me reassure you, if we felt that you were going to die, we would rush you. There is another town. It's about a two-hour mile and two hours ride from here. And someone would run into the villages, someone with a truck, and we would definitely get, and there's a doctor there. Say, But if you're not going to do that, what are your choices? He said, you can go home you know, and tell all your friends about your wonderful week at a Thai forest monastery. (laughs) And use it at parties. I mean, he was very sophisticated. Uh, And I don't know what else you would use it, but that doesn't seem too worthwhile. Or just give up. You know, I don't think you're going to die. I said, I know you're miserable, but why don't you try the Thai jungle school way of doing it? And that way is very simple. He's, he's saying, right now, you're probably thinking, if only I wasn't sick, then I could really practice. And he's saying, big mistake. The sickness is your practice, only you, didn't, you, you haven't gotten it yet. So stop fighting it. And just as you breathe in and as you breathe out, be totally aware of the life of the body, whatever that is. And be, uh, be sensitive to the way the conceptual mind the thinking mind is starting to make up stories of this, that, and the other, self-pity. And of course, the most important thought is me. This is happening to me, this is my pain, poor me, and so forth. Once me comes in, then you're in big trouble. And so the practice was attempting to uh, stay very, very close to the isness of my of the, of the illness, the isness, do you know what I'm trying to say? Uh, it's, there's no concept in it at all. It's just even the word nausea isn't nausea. You know, it's what that word is pointing towards. Well, that, or uh, this funny feeling in my uh, my gums because I had half a tooth, or whatever. It kept changing, or running out into another part of the jungle because of, I had dysentery to do something that I couldn't do in this part of the jungle. <laughs> you know, I guess there's you know the jungle is defined in certain ways. Restroom area. <laughs> it was all it looked like one jungle to me, but anyway. Okay. What helped me get through it a lot was the breathing. Because the breathing can become like a very, very good friend. It's sort of holding your hand and soothing you. Breathing in, I'm aware how miserable I am. Breathing, breathing out, I can see it's a total nightmare. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good. Okay. 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 So do you get the gist of Anapanasati? That's it in a nutshell. Uh, if you practice breathing, it gets stronger, it becomes more of a resource, it becomes more reliable, it becomes something that can really help you. Finally, all Vipassana practices is about mindfulness. Some people get confused. We're not trying to set the world's record of continuous awareness of the breathing. That's not it. Or to have the most perfect breath. I don't mean, you know, for de- deodorants, I mean. <laughs> okay. uh, finally, Anapanasati is not even about the breath. It's really about awareness. It's about our ability to see into ourselves deeply. But it's just that the breath is a tremendous help in doing that. It is one help. It is not the only method. It is a method, a very good one. Um, Okay, let's move on a little bit. I wanted to get into... um, Well, let me start it, because I'd like you to begin putting this into practice. Uh, But there's really a lot more to be said. When you hear the third contemplation, being aware of the whole body, uh, sensitive to the whole body, the yogi breathes in and out, that is not limited to just sitting. As you develop in practice, that practice, this particular practice of awareness of the body and breathing, what happens is there's a unification of the mind, the breath, and the body. I believe I mentioned it the other evening. It's a wonderful feeling. You're whole. You feel whole. There's no uh, divisiveness. There's no separation. You can't, where is mind and where is breath and where is body? They they're comrades. They just work beautifully together, and there's a stability that comes out of that. Okay, now, during daily life, as we move through our day, you can use awareness to the, to the breathing body to help you stay awake in whatever situation you're in. I've already encouraged you to take walks outside, natural speed walks, uh, even in nature, to... Uh, wherever you want to go, but use the breathe, the body in movement, and of course the breath is always part of that body in movement, to help you stay grounded, to help you stay alert, awake, to help you stay um, relatively free of the controlling power of thinking, which tends to get in the way and we space out into the future and into the past and so forth, so that in a sense, you're living inside of a breathing body. And you can use it in your job, whatever your yogi job is. You can use it while you're standing online. line. Uh, I notice many of you do hatha yoga. Let me make a suggestion. You know, of course, you're free to do it your own way. But uh, hatha yoga, in one second, can become uh, just another extension of what we're doing here. If